seated as we turn our attention here. If you have a Bible, I'd like to pop it open to Luke, and we'll go to a few other places in the next few minutes. Again, we're, we're dealing with Jesus who seems to be in some sort of alternative reality in this world where the poor, hungry, mourning, and bad-mouthed are the ones who are blessed, and the rich and the full and the happy and the reputable are the ones who he says, woe to you. As we said last week, it's kind of like, woe to the American dream. Blessed are those who aren't tasting of it. Almost feels like that. That is very challenging to us. This week, Jesus' famous words, love your enemies. Who are your enemies? I said, write down five of your enemies. I think you asked me that this week. I don't really have enemies. Doesn't seem like. When I was a kid, during the days of the Cold War, it was those Russians. They were the enemy. But then when the wall came down in the 80s, it seems like, well, we have, we have people who don't like us, but do we really have enemies? ISIS? Are they the enemy? Who's the enemy now? North Korea? Are they an enemy? One party or the other is the enemy in our political system? Feels like it sometimes. As we go through this, thinking about what Jesus has for us here, again, this series, just like last week, what do we know about Jesus because of this? But also the text has something to say to us. So again, with your permission, I'd like to talk about both of those things, what we learn about Jesus, but also how do we apply this to our life? So let's take a look at this again. In Luke chapter 6, verse 27, Jesus is doing something here in, in his preaching style that's not dissimilar to well, actually, let's turn there. Psalm 1. Let's see, Psalms. That's right about the middle of the Bible. Yeah, there it is. Psalms, and then to the left a bit. If you get to uh, Job, you've gone too far. Psalm 1 says this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. goes from there can read that, zip right over it, and miss what he's saying there. See, see what he does here. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Do you see what's happening? Blessed is the man who doesn't just walk, and then doesn't stop and just stand there, and then pull up a seat. See how it just gets closer and closer? You're kind of walking by, but then you stop, and then you sit down. Blessed is the man who doesn't follow that progression with the scoffers and the slanderers. Instead, he commits his life to, uh, to the word of the Lord. In the sa- Jesus is using a technique kind of like that because he's, he's going to talk about some categories that are going to keep driving deeper in two different directions. Look at it again. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And even pray for those who abuse you. You see, it gets richer and richer in your relationship with each step. And it gets more and more violent over here on your enemy's side. It's as though Jesus starts with love your enemies. And just, just in case I'm just saying have a nice thought about people you're a little bit down on. He's almost answering the questions that we would have when Jesus says, love your enemies. Well, you, you don't mean like 
bin Laden, Saddam Hussein. You don't mean love people like that. You don't mean love an axe murderer or a serial killer, do you? And Jesus says, love your enemies. No, no, I'm, I'm saying your enemies, those, those who hate you, those who curse you, those who abuse you. So you see how that goes? Your enemies, but also those who really have a violent feeling about you. Not just my enemies, because I'm from the United States and you're from some other country, so we're technically enemies. No, this person hates you. And more than hates you, he slanders you. Bless those who curse you. And more than that, he's actually physically violent with you. Like, God, you don't want me to love somebody who's hitting me in the face, do you? And, that, and Jesus goes on from there to say, that's exactly what I mean. So start thinking more radically about this, not less. More love. And he does the same thing on the positive side. It's one thing to just to love somebody. And we do this, right? We cut ourselves some slack. Do you love your neighbor? Oh, yeah, I do. I don't, I don't. No, don't just, don't just have an attitude of love or some kind of inner credentialing of, in the positive of somebody over there. Do good to those who hate you. And not only do good, but bless them, which actually we're going to look in the text as, as you follow through the text. What he's referring to here is like invest in them, give to them, help them practically in their life. So do good, ramp it up with investment, and then finally pray for them. Take that relationship with you with your enemy, to the very God who can pour out the kindness and mercy of heaven upon them. Go deep with your worst enemies, not just a shallow, nice feeling about somebody who's a little on the rough side. Jesus is pulling us into a very uncomfortable, deep place in this call. And go from there. Verse 29 picks it up. So again, if your thought is, okay, okay, someone who abuses me, that's, that, that's some, not someone who's like violent with me, right? So Jesus brings it up in verse 29. To the one who strikes you in the face, off of the other side of your face, turn the other cheek. We've heard that before too. I've never had to do that. I've never been hit in the face. Oh, I was hit in the, junior high school, I was hit in the face. I was making fun of a guy in eighth grade gym class, and he belted me in the face. I was so startled by the fact that this could actually happen that I didn't know how to retaliate. I think I just went to lunch. I can't remember. <laughs> but some of you maybe have been in fights before. I, I just haven't been in fights much. But Jesus says, even if you're in a fight, like a physical fist fight, your job is to continue to love that person who's abusing you. Lord, you've got to be kidding. Then he goes on and says, from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. You know, you wear your, your cloak over your tunic. Your tunic is like your undergarment. Your cloak is your overgarment. He takes your cloak, give him your tunic. You're kind of down to your loincloth at that point if you're wearing one. So he's, asked, he's saying, give it all up. If someone steals from you, let him have it and even open the door again and say, you want more? Jesus, what are you saying? Give to everyone who begs from you and from one who takes away your goods... Do not demand them back. That just seems wrong, God. It seems like we're enabling if we, if we act like that. Isn't there justice? Don't we stand for what's right? And then Jesus, with what we commonly refer to as the golden rule, sums it up and says, and as you wish that others would do to you, so do to them. 
which is helpful because in a way, I don't want people, especially my friends, to just let me get away with murder. I want some accountability because I want to live well. So I'm going to, we don't want to be enablers. We don't want to be lawbreakers. We don't want to be supportive of illegality. At the same time, in our heart of hearts, we need to dispense love and never let some physical pain or some financial burden get in the way of our heart being able to pour love out on somebody else. Very, very challenging. Verse 32, Jesus describes what I think is more of our normal type of existence because he says, look, if you love those who love you, and that's, you know, it's just Valentine's Day, right? Who'd I get a Valentine from? Well, someone who loves me. Who did I give a Valentine to? Someone whom I love. Those who, you love each other, so you give each other Valentine. You don't give Valentines to people you hate. You don't express love to people you hate. And Jesus is saying, that's exactly what I'm saying. You don't just love the people who love you back. If you love those who love you, and, and watch the progression again. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? If you do good to those who do good to you, now you're actually involved in their life by doing something for them. If you do good for those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? If you lend to those, and here's where that blessing and lending come, come together. If you actually give something to somebody of some value that they really want or need and you expect payback, what, that's, not, that's not any credit to you. Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. And then he repeats it again. But I'm telling you, love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. This, this makes the love that God causes us to have, because we all know that, right? We're supposed to be loving people. People even know this about the church, because they know this enough about Jesus. They've heard enough of Jesus talking to know those people are supposed to love each other. They're supposed to be a loving group of people. Some churches put it on their business card or on their sign out on the street. We're the loving congregation. Come in here and be loved. Ever walked into a church and went, ooh, it's icy in here. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know if I feel very loved here or not. I don't know if our love is qualitatively different than the world around us. But Jesus calls us to be that kind of people. And this kind of, this kind of text to me is like Jesus just coming up amongst us and going, love each other. Yeah, but no buts. There is no but. You all are to be loving, doing good, not just loving in your head, but physically involved, blessing and investing and praying for everybody indiscriminately. You walk down the street and go, okay, do I love that person or that person? Jesus' answer is everybody. There's nobody you don't love. Can I love some people more than the others? There's we're not going to talk about these verses, but there are a lot of verses in the Bible that say, show no partiality to anybody. You shouldn't say, I'm going to give you more love and you less love. No, we're people who the playing field has been completely, completely leveled. So my wife is over here and Osama bin Laden is over here. Well, his bones are over here now because he's not around anymore, but uh, somebody really, really awful. And God says, invest in love. Can't I show a little favoritism? That's not what God does. That's what you do. You need to shake that out of your system. And as a church, you need to encourage one another. Go, come on, let's be those loving people. I'll tell you what. If churches across the United States were this, people would go, 
I love those people. They love everybody. You never hear a bad word come out of their mouth about somebody else. What does your mama tell you when you're a kid? If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. Have you ever tried to do that for a week? I'm going to try not to say anything negative about any politician. Not going to say anything about the state of California. I'm not going to say anything about the price of gasoline. Or I'm, just, I'm just not going to be negative. If Christians, I just wish that we had that, I wish we had that reputation in the world. Those are the people, they just never say anything bad about anything. They just love. They just keep investing. They forgive. They take an offense and they put it beside them. That's who Jesus wants us to be. Because that's who Jesus was. And that's where we turn the corner in the text here. What is our motivation for this? Jesus appeals to our motivation. Here's why I want you to be like this. And it's not because your evangelism will be better and you'll have more followers. It's not because you'll get brownie points if you live like this and you'll get a bigger mansion in heaven or you'll get to heaven or anything like that. But he says, well, he does say this, your reward will be great. God loves it when you do stuff like this. And we do have heavenly rewards that await us, those of us who are saved. And we have a confidence that we're going to be with God forever and he's going to bless us. Uh, Like he says in another spot in the Sermon on the Mount, Don't store up for yourself treasures here on earth, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven. How do you store up treasures in heaven? Do I mail it there so it can be on layaway for me there? No, you can't take it with you, but you will receive treasures, crowns of glory, and God loves when we act like Jesus in our world. So that is a motivation. Jesus does say, what's your motivation? Verse 35, your reward will be great. But here's the second thing. You see what it is? You'll be sons of the Most High. For He, God, the Most High, He's kind to the ungrateful and the evil. So be merciful even as your Father is merciful. It's like Jesus saying two good reasons here. One, you'll have a great reward. And the other one is your family now. This is, you've been born again into the family of God. This is what we do here. This is how our family acts. This is house rules. We are known because we are these kind of loving people. It's part of being family. You'll be like your father. Which flips this whole sermon on its end? We're talking about us. How how do we walk in this? How do we love people like this? But what we're finding out is about God. That's what Jesus is saying. Why am I asking you to be like that? Because God is like this. Jesus stood before a group of people and said, I I want you to know that you're blessed if you're poor and if you're hungry and if you're sad for the broken around you and and even if you're persecuted and slandered. That's like me. You be like me. That's my life. Jesus became poor. Jesus became hungry. Jesus became slandered. And Jesus was weeping over the world that he created the whole time he was here. So I'm not asking you to do anything that I wouldn't do myself. Be like me. And now he says, love your enemies. Because, you know, that's what I do. That's what I did. Who were Jesus' enemies? First thing that comes to your mind. Who were Jesus' enemies? 
Oh, Herod, Pilate, the Pharisees. The first thing that came to your mind, wasn't it? You. You. Did you hear the epistle reading? Brian shared out of the book of Romans. Let's go back there. Romans 5 says this. While we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. It's us. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person one dare, would dare even die. It's funny Paul is saying that because Jesus is saying, die for an unrighteous person. That's the whole point. Love your, love your neighbor. But God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were, and here's the E word, we were enemies. We were reconciled to God by the death of the Son. We're enemies. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. We were the enemy. God loved his enemies. That means he loved you. You know, I wasn't God's enemy. I don't feel like I was really his enemy. I'm bad, but I'm not, you know, like that guy. And I wasn't like anti-God. I just didn't know that much about God at the time. Okay, so maybe you're, maybe you're better than the person next to you or better than that other guy. But the Apostle Paul, if you want to flip over to 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul, who's a pretty famous Christian guy, though he had some rough knocks along the way, he wasn't too perfect in all of his life, but the Apostle Paul had this notion in his head. There is nobody who's a worse sinner than me. Nobody. Paul said this, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 and following, says, I thank him, God, who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer. You blasphemer? You ever said something, I'm so mad at God? Okay, that's a little blasphemy. <laughs> God isn't so great. Okay. Uh, persecutor. Paul was a persecutor of the church. And an insolent opponent, as the English Standard Version puts it. It was just nasty to God and to his people. But it says, I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. So the Apostle Paul even says, okay, I just didn't know any better. So I wasn't really an enemy of God. I just didn't know better. But no, Paul doesn't leave himself off the hook. He says, the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. Do you see yourself as a foremost of sinners? Do you see yourself as I am a foremost enemy of God who am now part of God's family? I think there was a, there was a news story this week about uh, Trump. Uh, a woman who had fled to ISIS wanted to come back to the United States. And Trump said no. And politically, I'm not sure what the right reason is there. But in terms of God, and Trump ain't God, I'll tell you that. But in terms of God, if you go and are an enemy of God and you turn and say, can I be on your side instead? God says yes. And lets the worst enemy back into his family. Do you perceive yourself as that 
Benedict Arnold as that person who is, I denied God and now I'm back. Because when you do, that's when you go, wow, the grace of God is so fantastic. And then you realize, I don't have a leg to stand on if I denied love to anybody else. Because I'm at the bottom of the totem pole. I want to read something for you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who's a good German Lutheran from the 20th century. It's funny how we say the 20th century in the past now. I'm kind of getting used to that. Dietrich Bonhoeffer had this to say. This is really good. Listen to this. To forego self-conceit and to associate with the lowly means in all soberness and without mincing the matter to consider oneself the greatest of sinners. He's saying we should all consider ourselves the greatest of sinners. The church should be a community where everybody thinks of themselves as the greatest of all sinners because it changes your perspective. Everybody else is above you, right? He goes on to say this. It sounds like an exaggeration, like an untruth. Yet even Paul said of himself that he was the foremost of sinners. There can be no genuine acknowledgement of sin that does not lead to this extremity. If my sinfulness appears to me to be in any way smaller or less detestable in comparison with the sins of others, I am still not recognizing my sinfulness at all. He who would serve his brother in the fellowship must sink all the way down to these depths of humility. How can I possibly serve another person in unfeigned humility if I seriously regard his sinfulness as worse than my own? Would I not be putting myself above him? And then he quotes a man named Thomas Akempis, who was a Christian in the 14th century. Never think that you have made any progress until you look upon yourself as inferior to all. What did Jesus say? If you want to be great in the kingdom, you must be the least, the servant of all. And this should also characterize Christian community. A bunch of people who are scrambling, not for the throne, (laughs) they're scrambling for the lowest position, always deferring to help other people be be at a fighting ground. If we can't love love ourselves in the body like this, but we should have that posture in the whole world. Every person we bump into along life's way, whether it's our barista or or whether it's that guy at the car shop, or whether it's that guy in the, the SUV who just cut in front of you, that person is so far above you. You don't, you, like John the Baptist said about Jesus, I don't have the right to untie that person's sandals because I have been, I was an enemy of God and now I've been saved. So who is Jesus in light of this text. You know who Jesus is? He's the perfect one who showed perfect love for us. How? Loving his enemies. That means us. He loved us. He saved us. He justified us. He reconciled us by his death. And who are we? Former enemies of God, deserving rejection and judgment. But now we've called him into, we've been called into his service even though we were enemies before. Re-enlisted in the army of God. And Jesus says, love people. I'm not asking you to do anything that I wouldn't do myself. Since you are now loved enemies, love your enemies. And maybe those people too can be born again by the Holy Spirit and become family of God. And they can be lovers too, like us. 
Because this is who we are. This is what we do. And this, this is how we save the world. And again, that's, that's, the, that's that dichotomy that we have. We think, okay, I want to be a good Christian. Okay, it's it, peel the onion back. I empty myself before God. And a community of emptiness striving to love neighbor. How amazing would that be? It is amazing. We're a church now. We tasted that regularly in spots, but we all know where we could be, right? We all want to be conformed to the image of Christ, which brings us to our time around the table. What is the table? We come up and we celebrate the fact that God died for his enemies. And we come and we kneel at the table and we've received that cup. And by receiving that cup and receiving that bread, taking that sacrificial life into ourselves, we're also testifying that, Lord, I want to be like Christ to the world, which means I'm going to love my enemies too, which means if they hit me in the face or if they pound spikes through my wrists and ankles, I will offer the other. I'll die for my friend. 1 John 3.16 says, this is how we know what love is. Christ gave his life to die for us. We too should give our life to die for the brethren. And John 3.16 says what? You all know it. For God so loved the world, the enemy world, that has turned his back on him, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish like he should because you're guilty, but would have eternal life because you're born again by grace into a family of love. So I want to encourage you as you come to the table today. Yeah, I want to get the sacrament, love the grace of God, but to think of the depth of what this means and to enjoy that depth. We're going to receive an offering right now. During that time of offering, would encourage you, we're going to sing a song to prepare us to go to the table. Um, prepare your heart for time at the table. When we do go to the table, we actually on Saturday night come and we find a place around the whole thing. There's not so many of us that we can't all fit around the table at one time. And we kneel and we break bread together. And then we pray there afterwards before we sing our final song. If you don't like to kneel for that long, it's fine to stand or you can sit here in one of the front rows. Uh, it's kind of a tender time around the table. And especially tonight because we want to love one another as we encourage each other to love our enemies as well. Lord, bless this time of offering, we pray. Uh, Lord, I think we all realize that there are little corners of our heart that we have withheld from being open to loving certain people in our world. May we, God, by your word, by your sacraments, be shaped more and more into the kind of loving people that you want us to be, like Jesus. And thank you, God, so much for the offering he made for us that we might live. Pray in Jesus' name. Jesus is calling 